The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Somebody once said, a God who fits into my intelligence would be smaller than I am, and therefore not God. And that makes perfect sense. If I could understand absolutely everything there is to know about God, then how could he be any better or bigger than me? It doesn't make sense. And yet, people do try to think that way. A lot of people try to figure God out. They try to explain Him and everything He does. But at a certain point, they come across something that is inexplicable. And because they can't explain it, they, well, they just dismiss it. Must not be true. If I can't see it, if I can't touch it, If I can't tell you when or how or where it came to be, it must not be real. So says the unbelieving skeptic. But thank God that he is bigger than us and that there are things about him that are inexplicable. Because only a God so great and so glorious and so infinitely bigger than us could accomplish the impossible task of saving you and me and the rest of the world from our sins, simply out of love. Today we celebrate the fact that there are things about God that we just don't understand, but by faith we know to be true. We celebrate the fact that the Almighty and Glorious Lord accomplished the impossible because He is holy holy times three. In our first reading, we heard how the angels were singing out the praises of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. The angels were singing so loud that the the foundations of the temple were shaking and it filled with smoke. The prophet Isaiah saw this with his own eyes He heard it with his own ears, and he felt the floor shake beneath his feet. God, Isaiah was standing in God's presence. This one who is divinely perfect in every way imaginable, and then some. This one who is just and righteous. This one who rules over all creation from his throne. This one who is worthy of ground-shaking praise. This one who is holy times three. Who is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Inexplicable, but true. Isaiah stood in his presence, and he came to the inescapable, undeniable conclusion He stood in his presence and he said, I'm ruined. I'm done for. If I'm standing here in his presence, there's no way I'm walking out of here alive. He looked around at the the angels singing out the praises of God and he knew he couldn't do that. 
Because he was a man of unclean lips. Everything he said was sinful. Everything he did was sinful. He was sinful to the core, sinful through and through. And he came from a people who were just as bad. God's chosen people who had gone the way of idolatry, who were wicked, who were unworthy to stand in God's presence. And God had said, none who see my face will live. Isaiah understood the truth. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin? Certain death. We know the same truth. None of us can deny the presence of sin in our lives or the effects that it has. How long does it take to see the brokenness? How easy is it to find the failures, the shortcomings, the letdowns? How quickly can you remember heart-piercing words, gut-wrenching actions, lustful motivations, jealous thoughts? How easy is it to remember weakness and worry, sadness and despair? How easy is it to see that in those around us and then when we're honest with ourselves, how easy is it to see it in ourselves? It doesn't take long. And it's all a result of sin. It's all an effect of that, that first sin that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden and, and has permeated everybody and all of creation ever since. It's undeniable. It doesn't take long to see it. You and me, we should stand where Isaiah stood and say what he said. I am ruined. I'm rotten to the core. Because when we're honest with ourselves, we know that's exactly what's true. And by ourselves... We can do absolutely nothing about it. We can offer absolutely nothing to try to span the gap, that unfathomably wide chasm that separates us sinners from the God who is holy times three. It's an impossible task. But God is so great and so glorious and so infinitely bigger that he can. And he did accomplish the impossible. And to Isaiah, he showed just how. The angels that were attending to God, they always did his will. Whatever they did, it was God's will. So when the angel took the coal from the altar and touched it to Isaiah's mouth, we know that that was God's will. We also know that what the angel said to Isaiah was what God wanted him to say. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. For those of us who aren't in the habit of putting hot coals to our mouths, this might seem strange, but there's so much meaning behind it. This moment... This action, some would say, defined Isaiah's ministry. This was the start of Isaiah's public ministry as God's prophet. 
And he would go on to tell the people of Israel God's message and the defining characteristic of Isaiah's prophecies, all of them put together, which we call the book of Isaiah, the defining characteristic, the gospel, the good news, the promise of a savior. And it all started here with this. This revelation from God of just how he would make Isaiah from a sinfully guilty to graciously saved. And God would be the one to do it. God would be the one to remove his guilt. God would be the one to atone for his sins. And it all had to do with the sacrifice that God himself would make, the sacrifice that only God could make, the perfect sacrifice. God's arrow-pointing-down act of grace. We call this the plan of salvation. And in this plan, all three persons of the triune God have a crucial role. In the gospel for today, Jesus laid out exactly how. The Father loved the world, the world that didn't deserve it, so much that he gave up his Son, his one and only Son, And then he would go on to take the sins of the world and the punishment that it deserves and put it onto his son and then punish him and forsake him as he hung on the cross so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. This was the Father's will. The Son accomplished the Father's will. He was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And in Isaiah's words, he was the one who took up our pain, bore our suffering. He was the one who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He was the one whose punishment brought us peace and whose wounds healed us. And like the bronze snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man was lifted up on a pole so that whoever looked to him and believed would not perish but would have eternal life. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that in him we might become holy so that we could stand in the presence of the God who is holy times three, so that we could stand in his presence not sinfully guilty, but graciously saved. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he's got a role in this too. The coal in Isaiah's vision was still live, still hot, still burning. Fire is a symbol of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Last week, we we heard how the Holy Spirit made his dwelling place in the hearts of believers, symbolized by the tongues of so-called fire coming to each of them. And there, he, the Holy Spirit, got to work. The work of the Holy Spirit is to create, sustain, and strengthen faith. He purifies and sanctifies. He renews. He washes clean. He gives life to those who were dead in their transgressions and sins. 
And then, like wind, we don't always see the Spirit at work, but we do see the effects. You see the effects in your own life. You see it in the the peace that you now have, because by faith, you know that Jesus solved our biggest problem. You see it in the courage that you now have in the face of danger or disease or sorrow or sickness. Because you know by faith that Jesus reigns in heaven over all creation and works through all things for the benefit of those who love him for his church. And you know that you have a certain hope a hope of eternal life with God, because you know by faith that Jesus rose from the dead to prove his victory over death and Satan and sin. And in that resurrection, he promises that all of his people will rise and will join him in heaven in everlasting life and glory and righteousness and holiness. You know it by faith. All of this combined is the plan of salvation. It's God's arrow-pointing-down act of grace. It's the impossible task that only a God so great and so glorious and so infinitely bigger, only he could accomplish. And he did it simply out of love. And what that means is that now we're not standing as Isaiah thought he was. We're not woefully afraid, trembling in fear, standing before the God who is holy times three, painfully aware of our own sinfulness and guilt. No, no, no. That's what we deserve, but that's not what we have. Not anymore. No, now we stand as Isaiah actually stood. Guilt taken away. Sins atoned for, graciously saved. God, in his mercy, spanned the gap for us. He reached across that unfathomably wide chasm that separated us sinners from the God who is holy times three, and he did it simply because he loves you. According to his grace, And he built the only bridge, the only bridge that would bring us back to him. And then what did he do next? What did he say to Isaiah? Whom shall I send? God wanted someone to share his message with the people who had wandered so far from him. And he wanted Isaiah for the job. But notice how he didn't come out and say, Isaiah, you're going to be my prophet. He gave Isaiah the opportunity to show his faith. And like a child who's excited to help dad at work, Isaiah immediately responds with joy and eagerness and excitement because now he knows that he was as good as dead, but by God's grace, he was made alive. Because now he knows that he is free, free from sin and Satan and death. Because now he knows he's free to serve. And he wanted to serve his Lord in whatever way he could out of thanks and praise. 
That's you and me. Now, because God accomplished the impossible and saved us from the sins that none of us can deny, because God did it all for us simply out of love, we can respond in the exact same way as Isaiah, with joy, with excitement, and with eagerness. We can serve. And God calls us in the exact same way he called Isaiah to share his message with the people. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then he promises that he'll be with us every step of the way. Even when we fail, even when we fall and stumble, he promises to be there to pick us up again because he loves us. And he calls us to carry out the work of his church, his people, the big job, sharing the gospel with our world. So with that in mind, brothers and sisters, sing and shout and share the praises of God. Join those angels in heaven and sing his praises. And then with Isaiah, respond with joy and eagerness and excitement to the call that God gives to you. Respond in the words of Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. God grant it. Amen.